With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. No! Oh my God, how could he do that? Are you on What? Charles Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome, everybody, back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Breber, and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today, we've got lots of great playoff basketball to talk about with you all. We're going to touch pretty much on five of the eight series that are still going on. And we're going to start with what has been maybe the most fascinating, it seems to be the most discussed on a national level, and that is Nets Celtics, where we currently stand. We're about an hour out from tip of game four. So obviously we don't know exactly what's going to happen. But regardless, the framing as things currently stand is that the Nets are overwhelmingly likely to lose this series. They're obviously down three games to none. Ben Simmons not returning for game four. So instead of getting into the specifics of, you know, basketball strategy and whatnot, the specific dynamics of how we might imagine game four playing out, we're going to make this more broadly applicable. So maybe the Nets have already fallen at the time that you're listening, and it's still worth your while. So I think there's a ton of big picture questions that are interrelated with that, but I think we should just start with this, Logan, because this team was obviously put together initially with KD and Kyrie, and then James Harden was added, and then removed, and then Ben Simmons was added, and the expectations were extremely high. I picked them to win the title before the year. I think that we obviously saw some of the cracks, but regardless, this has not been a very pretty series so far and to go two years with this roster composition and three years with KD and Kyrie theoretically on your roster although obviously KD couldn't play for one full year out of that and Kyrie was also injured for most of it and to have just one playoff series win I think is overwhelmingly viewed as a disappointing result regardless of some of the specifics of circumstance so if they lose here I mean what does that mean for Brooklyn and what are the next steps from there I mean, it means the season was a failure. Uh, once again, it's really disappointing. I, I don't know what you do moving forward from here, Carson. I, you try to bring Katie and Kyrie back and run this thing back again. Like, I don't... It's a tough spot. I, I, you, you get healthy, you get Joe Harris back, you try to bring this core back. I mean, I think... I just... 
I guess my thing with the Nets, Carson, is I don't really see how this is going to be any stylistically different moving forward. And what I mean by that is, like, the Celtics this season, and we've seen in this series, I talked about the stylistical difference between how these teams play. The Celtics are a unit, and I mean Mm -hmm. that in... They're just working together. I love watching the Celtics play defense, man. They're all on a string together, watching the ball, moving and making plays as a team. On offense, it's the same way. They're running sets. They're running... They're running plays to get open. The Nets just don't do that on either end of the floor. And what I mean by that is you just see a lack of cohesion. You see a lack of chemistry. You see a lack of just like ball move. You see just a lack of, of togetherness that, you just, that I just don't get with other really great teams. The Warriors have this mentality, this system. The Suns have this mentality, this system. The Celtics have this culture, this mentality, this system that has now been ingrained in them after one great season of basketball. And I don't see that in Brooklyn. Brooklyn is every possession down the floor. And this is why I partly blame Steve Nash for this series, Carson. It's just like, it's been two years. And I know mm-hmm. that you have two of the best isolation weapons in basketball. There's no flow. There's no... Women's basketball, and this is not a diss in Brooklyn. Women's basketball has more flow, more set offense, more plays than the Brooklyn Nets. Like, I guess what I'm just getting at is... I. I think you have to I think you have to move away from the superstar formula. What I mean by that is just you gotta play as a team. And I it feels so cliche, it feels so stereotypical. I feel like that's what's been the biggest difference thus far. That and I mean this is the most flustered that I've ever seen Kevin Durant. We'll get into that in a minute. But um I don't know, dude. This Nets team does not play as a team. And I don't know if you can put that on KD on Kyrie. I don't know if you put that on Steve Nash. Um You've got to build a culture here in Brooklyn and make this a, a unit thing. I don't. Do you feel the same way? That's interesting framing. I think certainly it's a very weird culture. And uh, obviously it has been so overwhelmingly dictated by the players. And they are two very distinct NBA personalities who I think a lot of people would probably describe as a bit volatile and unpredictable at times and perhaps overly emotional in their own ways. And obviously James Harden was a third introduction to that dynamic and that just didn't work out. Ben Simmons, whenever he sees the floor, will be another guy who sort of fits that archetype. And so when you talk about establishing culture, that is a unique dynamic because Steve Nash is there, but when Katie and Kyrie openly talk about, well, we don't really need a coach, I think it's pretty clear what the hierarchy truly is. At the same time, I wouldn't sit here and say, well, Kevin Durant is not a good basketball leader because I don't think that's necessarily true. I mean, obviously, he has been the guy on some all-time great teams and consistently year in, year out for his prime, at least a contender. Now, has he always been the primary leader? Probably not. I mean, it's tough to speak to those things because you're not in the locker room, but I don't think anybody viewed him as the emotional leader of the Warriors I don't think you could have even argued he was top two. I think that's clearly Stefan Draymond, but best player. And so there's obviously a dynamic of leading by example, but it's tough here because I do think you look at a lot of the role guys around the two lead stars and those guys commit to their jobs. And I think that they do them pretty well. And that's been something I've liked about the Nets all year and last year, even if the supporting cast names didn't live up to other teams. The guys went out there and they played really hard and they were smart and versatile. And you look at what Bruce Brown has done. He's been phenomenal in this series. And you get good production out of Seth Curry and Drogic. And I don't think anybody questions how good of a role guy Patty Mills is when he's playing his best. And you look at what Cam Thomas can grow into. I think that really 
an important dynamic to explore here and something that is tough to do when, again, you're looking at consecutive seasons of such disappointment is that the Nets have played three highly competitive games Mm -hmm. against what is uh, probably the best team in the East right now. I mean, I would say that the Celtics are playing at the level of the best team in the East when they have 30-something million dollars of cap just not on the floor. I mean, that's devastating. Actually, 50, because Joe Harris isn't out there. Mm-hmm. And Joe Harris is so valuable as truly one of the greatest shooters we have ever seen play this game. He is such a release valve within an offense. It makes it so hard to help off of other guys. And so, like, that just has to be put into context here, right? If you are losing very tight games and Kevin Durant is shooting 36% from the field and you don't have two of easily your top five players and guys who fill incredibly valuable roles just towards winning basketball. Harris, again, fitting into the flow of an offense so easily. Simmons, in theory, we'll see whenever he actually gets out on the floor, but the value of the perimeter defense and the playmaking and just sort of the ability to fit in as a scorer offensively and not demand a ton of touches if he embraces the right role. Like, those things would be so valuable to winning basketball. The Nets are still pretty close in some ways without playing their best. Yeah, and missing missing big guys. That's what I'm saying. So it's such a strange dynamic because I don't think people will look at this situation and say you can stand pat when you are on the back half of the primes of KD and Kyrie. But at the same time, it's like, what are they really going to do? I mean, they have no cap flexibility. I think their top five players, fully healthy, are outstanding and can go to toe with just about any top five in the league. And then you look at the value of bench guys like Patty Mills and Bruce Brown, if they can bring him back, and Cam Thomas on that rookie deal as he continues to progress. And it's like, why couldn't the Nets next year be right back in that contending conversation? They can. It's all about the continuity. You know what I mean? It's all about getting these guys actually on the floor. Like, I feel like that's something that people really underrate about uh, the NBA today. And, like, in terms of just, like I was getting at, like cohesion, working together. They need Ben Simmons out here. And that's what makes the situation so difficult, like you already outlined, Carson. A guy like Ben Simmons, a personally like Kyrie, a personally like KD, um, it's hard. Mm. It's really hard to balance uh, personalities, emotions like that and personality types like these guys, but they just need to be on the floor. Yeah. Like, next season, if the Nets commit to this core, if they commit to Ben Simmons, if Ben Simmons is out there on the floor and this team plays together, like, I don't see why they couldn't. But they yeah. need to establish that rapport. They need guys to be healthy. Because, I mean, think about this, man. All the injuries that they've sustained to the Stars, too. Like, that mattered. Katie missing timeout. Um, Kyrie missing timeout to the uh, COVID this year. Like, mm-hmm. They need them to be fully healthy. They just need to build rapport, and I think this team can do it. Let me ask you this. Do you think that... Uh, I don't know how like rules work with him already being moved this season. Like, uh, If you're the Nets, would you explore moving Ben Simmons? Do you think there's anything on the table that you could get for Ben Simmons? I find that really hard to imagine. I mean, it seems to me like they are committed to making that work. He was the centerpiece of mm-hmm. the Harden deal at the end of the day. I mean, obviously they got the picks and they got Seth. They got Drummond, but like Ben Simmons was the major selling point there, and he apparently is still committed to trying to play with them. Obviously, the reports are ever confusing. Now we have the reintroduction by Woj of 
mental hurdles here after it was like supposedly a physical setback with his back when he was supposed to come back for game four. It's so strange. But I still look at this team and I think, yes, they are not constructed like most other groups, right? What? <laughs> He's going to say something brutal about Ben Simmons. I can feel it. Is Ben Simmons beta? <laughs> Listen, man, he doesn't have the most alpha tendencies or sigma tendencies. Is guys, it a yes? Are you guys familiar with Sigma males? They're sweeping the nation. <laughs> Is that a yes? I'm not going to call Ben Simmons a beta. I don't know. You can if you want. You hate him. I think Ben Simmons is a little beta. <laughs> All right. Well, anyways, I was making a basketball point before we took our Ben Simmons beta break. And the point is like, yeah, the Nets are obviously going to give... They're going to make certain basketball sacrifices, right? Like, this is never going to be a great defensive team. Mm -hmm. They're never going to have a really high-caliber big, right? Given their current personnel, they're not going to have, like, a smaller guard who is a really high-level defensive player. But I still think you take this healthy team next year. They have unbelievable isolation shot making. They have unbelievable pure shooting two of probably the five best three-point shooters to ever live in my opinion genuinely if you're talking about just off the catch joe harris and seth curry a do-it-all guy like ben simmons good depth and so it's just like with the outstanding perimeter defense of simmons with the combination of pretty good perimeter defense and some helper in protection of kd with good effort from the role guys with just solid play from their bigs which i do think they can get it's like the offense is going to be overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And so I'm okay with some of their weaknesses because I think they overcome it in other areas. The problem right now is, I mean, maybe you would look at this and say they need another shot creator because it's like so much attention has been dedicated to Katie and Kyrie, but it's been by such a great defense. And I don't know, man, I don't really think that's true. Like this offense, when Katie and Kyrie played during the regular season, an offensive rating of 120 something. Well, I mean... I just, just to add on that point, I have another number uh, courtesy of uh, Sean Grande. Dude, the Celtics were the NBA's best defense, allowing 1.06 points per possession uh, all season long. The Nets have blown past that every single every mm -hmm. single game in this series, and they're still up. Like, I just think that accentuates the point about the defense. Like, if they were just slightly better on that end, I mean, this could be a dramatically different series. Like, it's not like the Celtics are shutting down Brooklyn. Brooklyn is still getting off good offense and getting buckets uh, against a really dominant defense. Like, they were playing on, maybe maybe some of the best offensive basketball we've seen against Boston all season long. They just have not been carrying it on that end, on the on defense. And it's not good enough. I mean... Yeah, it's not overwhelming. Right. I, KD has legitimately struggled over a three-game stretch in a way that we have rarely seen from him. And the Nets offense overall, it's just... It has to be overwhelming. That has always been the equation. And that's why, when it came to the Harden-Simmons deal, my approach was, it's worth it to just be the most overwhelming offense ever and hold on to James Harden if there were not just insurmountable personality differences, which it seems like there were, and that was just a totally broken relationship. Because that's always been their formula. Like, even with Ben Simmons, it's just going to be like, can we eke out being a back half of the top 10 defense? Mm -hmm. Like, right there just like a solidly above average defense and then can we be the best offense in basketball that's their formula and that remains it so they've needed to be better there's no doubt about that Kevin Durant has needed to be a lot better and go ahead 
Well, just he's playing uh, He's playing hesitant. This is the most hesitant and scared I've ever seen KD, like mm-hmm. I alluded to earlier. Um, and what I mean by that is like he's... KD's the best shooter, one of the best shooters ever, right? So when he takes these tough pull-ups with guys in his face and he pulls up quick, it's like it's never a bad shot. Mm-hmm. But he does look rushed. He looks like out of rhythm, out of flow in this offense. And I, I mean, you fully credit Boston for that. And He just like he's rushing into shots. He's yeah. KD is not a guy who ever really got downhill at a super high level, right? But even now, he's settling for that, you know, like 10 to 15 foot jumper. Instead of like getting down to the rack, he's... KD is like, and I, I don't know if somebody used this before, if I'm stealing this. KD doesn't like he's seeing ghosts a little bit, bit out there. Like, mm-hmm. the Celtics genuinely have him flustered. He didn't take a shot in the final 11 minutes of game three. Like, yeah. After making one field goal in the second half of yeah, game two. Exactly. Like, it's the Celtics shocking. have fully flustered KD in a way that I never thought. I never thought KD was effectable like this as a score. This yeah. Is, I mean, I guess it's another big picture question. I don't want to get off a big tangent, but like, do you look at this as a stain on KD's resume? Man. I mean, it's probably the worst playoff series of his career up to this point, right, that I can think of. I mean, 22 a game on 36.5% shooting with more turnovers than assists and having kind of just disappeared when his team has needed him most. That's pretty much completely unprecedented for a guy who I think is arguably the greatest score ever. And I think the most skilled score ever, the most versatile score ever. It's really hard for me to say that this is not like pretty damning. I mean, obviously people are so prone to overreacting, right? Like people will look at a three game sample size and say that it disqualifies somebody from a given discussion. Like, Oh, Katie can't be the best player in the world now. That doesn't make sense to me. Charles Barkley comes out and says that he's like never been the guy on a team that has won it all. And it's like, okay, well, he was the best player on those two Warriors teams. Like, I just think that although it was close, it tended to become pretty clear in the biggest moments. Last year, he put on an absolutely superhuman effort. I mean, he averaged 34 a game throughout those playoffs on just mind-blowing efficiency with a team that was completely outmatched, didn't have Kyrie, had Harden, who was pretty much useless off of one leg. And so it's like, are we going to look at a four-game sample size and say, well, Kevin Durant isn't who we thought he was? Of course not. But there is still a way to acknowledge that by his standards, this is really, really bad. This is really bad. And when you are 33 years old and you are possibly in the waning years of being on a contender caliber team yeah that reflects poorly on you at the same time Kevin Durant is the reason this is a contender caliber team nobody else would look at this roster whose third and fourth best players are Seth Curry and I mean who do you think is four like I would say Patty Mills he hasn't had a particularly impactful series but during the regular season I would say I, it was Patty Mills I mean Bruce Brown has actually been the third best player in this specific yeah. series I, yeah, I'd probably say Seth and Patty. I mean... So that's just like... Again, KD is the reason that we view them as we do. And he's the reason that they were 36 and 19 mm-hmm. when he played this year. And uh, 9 and 18 when he didn't. All those things can be true, though. And you can still say you have not played yeah, up to I your mean, expectations at all. I don't want to get, again... Let, let, 
copy and paste what Carson just said about the KD situation, how people will take a three-game size or take a, a one-game sample size and blow it out of proportion. I'm not going to get hyperbolic. I'm not going to get blasphemous. But people, Stephen A. came on and lambasted Kyrie, you know, saying you just, you're just not dependable. Again, I hate when people overreact like that. KD did have a really bad game in Game 3. 0-7 from deep. If he doesn't go 0-7 from deep, they likely win this game. He also had a poor game. We need to recognize that. It hasn't been in a glowing series for either of these two guys. Um, again, full credit goes to the Boston defense and how they've been playing them, over-hedging on screens, double-teaming them, uh, just playing relentless. I mean, I think this is a stain on Kyrie, too. Like, I don't want to just let him off yeah. the hook. Like, it's a stain on both of them, but... I don't think it disqualifies him from everything. If you had asked me coming into the playoffs, I may have said that KD was the best player on the planet. I may have said that KD was the guy that I would have wanted genuinely mm-hmm. over any other player in these playoffs. I may have said that I would have wanted Kevin Durant coming into these playoffs more than any other player in basketball. Um, it, it's a stain for sure. It's a condemnment. But So are you saying that this has changed your outlook? Like, would you no longer? Is KD the guy that I would want? Yeah. That's a really good question. I think... I mean, honestly, I think I might say Giannis now. Mm. I, I mean, I know the Bucks have been up and down. I might go Giannis. I might say um, Embiid. Those are probably one and two for me. Yeah. I might still go Jokic. It's been a bad series, but Jokic is still up there for me. Yeah. Who, I mean, Jokic has had 35-plus in the last two games. Are, are you in agreement? Is this changed? No. Well, I, KD wouldn't have been my choice before. Yeah. I had KD three when I did my best players alive TikTok. And I do think there's an argument for a handful of guys as the best player alive right now, honestly. It's crazy because even though we're seeing it, we're seeing KD legitimately affected, it still feels like if you extend the sample size and like in a vast majority of matchups, he's still just so, so, so incredibly difficult to take away offensively. And it's like everybody has a way in which they can be exploited. I mean, we saw Giannis humiliated in consecutive postseasons. And I still think his issues creating half-court offense for himself. I mean, obviously, these guys are unbelievable basketball players, right? But that, to me, feels bigger than any basketball issue that Kevin Durant has. I mean, he's going up against the best defense in basketball that has an unbelievable one-on-one matchup and is willing to dedicate multiple defenders and apply a ton of ball pressure. And it does seem like they're in his head right now, and he's not comfortable. Like, it's just stuff that we've never seen out of him. But at the same time, it's very telling that we've never seen that stuff out of him. And he still walked in and completely changed this team's dynamic throughout this year and scored 29 a game on mind-blowing efficiency and had a career playmaking season and totally elevated the offense and was a plus defender. So it's like, this doesn't change how I view Kevin Durant, I guess is what I'm saying. This is a bad moment for him. This will be acknowledged as a bad moment for him and probably one of the ugliest postseasons of his career. It doesn't change, though, where he stands among the best players in basketball to me. Because there's a reason that we watch these guys play 82 games over years. And, of course, regular season and playoff basketball are different. But good luck convincing me that Kevin Durant's game somehow doesn't translate to playoff basketball compared to others. Because we have very consistently seen him step up, overperform his already ridiculous regular season production. I mean, his last two postseason runs, 2019 with the Warriors, was some of the best basketball I've ever seen any individual person play. He ended up averaging 32 a game, but that's with two different games in which he didn't play full minutes because of injury. I mean, he was up at like 35 through that Clippers series. 
And he averaged 34 last year and was just unbelievable, not just as a scorer, but as a facilitator and was the complete offensive engine for that Nets team that very well mm-hmm. could and maybe should have beaten the Bucks team that then won the title. So what I'm saying is Kevin Durant is great. This doesn't change how I view him permanently, but you can still hold him accountable for this 100%. Yeah, well said. And I mean, again, this is against the best defense in basketball. I'm yeah. not saying that you should have expected this out of KD, but they're more well-equipped to do this to him. This is probably the worst matchup they could have drawn in round one. And I, I hate beating this dead horse, but Kyrie and KD have been doing, I know the turnover numbers are high, have been doing a pretty decent job of dissecting double teams and finding open guys. Like KD and Kyrie are playmaking their asses off, and I still do feel if... I keep Bruce Brown out there, whatever. If Joe Harris is healthy, I mean, it, it just makes it that much harder. You yeah. can't. You cannot throw doubles mm-hmm. at Kyrie and KD the way that they are if Joe Harris is out on the floor. I fundamentally believe that. You have Curry, Patty, um, and Joe Harris alongside well, them. You're Hold on. I don't mean in the same lineup. Okay, I was going to say. At the other two spots that you have open on the floor, you run those two guys with another big, maybe in LaMarcus. It's an unstoppable offense, genuinely, because then the Celtics are not able to throw all these doubles out. That's another thing that I haven't got. If the Nets get wiped, this is a mute point. If they're done after tonight and you're listening to this, this is a mute point. I do not know why LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin have not played more minutes. I just feel like Drummond is so inept offensively. Like mm-hmm. I like the guy. He's great on the glass. He's a good defensive big. Nick Claxton is cool. I just feel like Blake and LaMarcus are so much more offensively inclined. I do not know why they're getting PT. LaMarcus is still good for mid-range. He was still effective this year. He was pretty good defensively. Blake was awesome in some of the defensive minutes that we've seen in this series. Uh, That's another uh, head-scratching moment for me from this series from Steve Nash. I think Blake and LaMarcus should be getting more PT. They're also playoff tried and true. Mm -hmm. And I just... Like you said, man, if we're going overwhelming offensive, I, I don't feel like they do anything. Claxton's been good. I don't want to slander Claxton. I, I just don't know why they've been getting as many big minutes. as I'd be giving Blake and LaMarcus some more burn just because I feel like they're better offensively. Yeah, I mean, this was a pretty rough season for Blake offensively, I will say, just because he really doesn't have any ability to create his own shot anymore, and his outside shot has just been pretty ugly all year. He was 26% from deep. But LaMarcus just being effectively removed from the team midway through this year was really interesting and surprising to me because I thought in the early goings, Mm -hmm. I mean, he was phenomenal and he provided an offensive look for them that was just really valuable. I mean, the short pick and pop game where he's coming out to 16, 17 feet and was the most efficient mid-range shooter in basketball, I believe, that's pretty darn good. And he was still giving effort and I guess there are the defensive issues, but it is surprising to me because he is very, very clearly the best offensive big man on this roster. I mean, I don't even think that there's a debate to be had. Let's talk about where Ben Simmons figures into all of this because obviously (laughs) the Simmons-Harden trade was one of the biggest in-season moves, maybe the biggest in-season move that we've ever seen in the NBA, it felt to be at the time and yet Ben Simmons has not set foot on the basketball floor for the Nets so I know how you feel about him but I mean how does this make you feel about that move overall I think is the more interesting lens because you make an investment for this season right I mean the updates were always so confusing but it never seemed like Ben Simmons is going to miss an entire year because of physical stuff and yet here we are so I could have guessed that like, I'm not trying to say I told you so, bro. Physical stuff? I, it's, I mean, it's bull. Okay. The physical stuff is bull. I've called Ben Simmons' card at any, all, every part of the way. 
I just have no respect for Ben Simmons. I don't even know what the question is. He boils my you blood. You call him a beta. I hate Ben Simmons more than any other basketball player that has maybe lived. How do I feel about the trade now? Well, the Sixers won. It's not even close. The playmaking and overcommitment and just like a terrifying factor of James Harden being on the floor. Even when he sucks. Even when he sucks. <laughs> he even when he is, can't score. Even when he can't score, he is still a damn effective player because people are afraid of that step back. People are afraid of Harden. They they fear the beard still to this day. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I, I genuinely, I'm disappointed that we didn't get to see these three guys run it back once more because I still think the Nets would have made a deep run. Would have made They would not be down 3-0 in this series right now. I mean, you just chalk up the fact that you talk about the dead cap, just not having a guy out there on the floor that's super talented. Harden won. Harden's playing chess, dude. Like, I, the Sixers and Celtics may be the two best teams in the East. No disrespect to the Heat or the Bucks. I, I just think there's different offensive ceilings there. I'm still picking Milwaukee out, but I think offensively, I think Philly and uh, I think Philly and Boston may be on different levels. Um, really? Uh, maybe not Boston. Philly, I just think, is the best offensively equipped team uh, in the playoffs. Anyway, but like... Yeah, I mean, you needed Ben Simmons, and he didn't show up. And, like, Stephen A. went on that big rant. He quit on LSU. He quit on Philly. He quit on Philly. He's quitting on Brooklyn. I don't know, man. I I want to know what the guys in the locker room are thinking, Carson. Mm-hmm. How does this guy show up? First of all, goofy uh, fit. <laughs> Homie pulled up. I mean, dude, that was just goofy. Like, and that's, that's a, like... Not driven. I don't mean to, like, nitpick something as little as that, Carson. Sure, but please do. But it's like... You're going to put all that energy into your outfit, Ben, so you can sit on the sidelines, so you can look all cute and dolled up to not play ball? I just think it's all BS. And I, I don't like to make light of people's mental issues, stuff like that. I, I do think it's all cap. It's like, dude, Ben, what are you afraid of? Probably spiders. It's... <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> what are you... You're afraid of basketball? You're afraid of playing and getting booed and what the people on, are, are going to think about you? Been getting the gym, shoot some free throws. I became an 87% free throw shooter very recently. It's true. It's not that hard. You can also become a great shooter, Ben Simmons. I believe in you. Um, I'm disappointed. The Nets just got hosed because they bet on the wrong guy. I'm not saying that they could, shouldn't have done it because I think they made the right decision. Yeah. This was not going to work. James Harden did not want to be there. They needed to get value back for him, and they did. They got two damn good role players in Seth Curry and Andre Drummond, but you needed Simmons to play. And that's what me and Carson said all... Every single time we brought up the Nets on the way mm-hmm. back, they need Simmons. They need Simmons. They need yeah. Simmons. And here they are in an 0-3 hole. Ben Simmons has not played, and he's still the biggest what-if of this postseason. I I just, I don't know, man. I don't know how this does not, I don't know what he's going to look like when he gets back on the court. I don't know what kind of player he is. I don't know what his teammates think of him. He's a, he's a drama queen. He's a baby, and I wouldn't want him on my team. And he's getting paid way too much money to not be on that basketball court. He's still mashing buttons in his house, though. You want to watch him Call of Duty Modern Warfare stream? Yeah. I'm sure you can go on Twitch and watch him ball out. Check him out on Twitch. Um, I mean, what are your updated thoughts on the trade? Like, would you have still done it? Is there any alternative route to have been explored? Like, I think the Nets did the right thing. Yeah, I always thought that if we were able to exist in a vacuum in which personalities didn't matter and the dynamics of the locker room didn't matter then they should have had James Harden obviously got toxic there but I will say one of the things that I expressed trepidation about in the moment was that you are exchanging a better basketball player 
who makes you potentially the best offense ever, who has, yes, these emotional issues and questions and whatnot, for another guy who has as many, if not more, questions about his emotional stability and character and all these different things. And so it's like, yeah, he isn't part of this currently existing toxic dynamic, but it's still a big question. And, I mean, I feel like now we've seen that at least play some role in the fact that Ben Simmons has not played a basketball game for the Nets. So, I mean, I guess something probably had to be done if they really couldn't resolve that dynamic, and they did get good value. I mean, the Seth edition, again, was massive. But it's tough to really feel great about things right now. But then again, if they run it back next year, I mean, it's just not going to be that tough to retain most of this core. They're not really dishing out any money except for to... I mean, they're top five contracts. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's going to be tough to get better, though. Um, yeah, no, it'll be tough to yeah. get better. And maybe, like, they can't bring back Bruce Brown. I don't know. We'll see how much he demands on the open market. But for the most part, they just have role guys who just kind of do their jobs. But, yeah, I mean, this is tough for Ben Simmons. I really don't know that I have a ton to add. His name has been dragged through the mud sufficiently i think and i'm gonna keep doing and it and you're gonna keep doing it let me ask you this completely okay. irrelevant to the situation is ben simmons a top 100 guy that you would start a franchise with today you're joking right i don't think i would i think i'd leave him off i don't even know if he'd see the floor i'm not joking this isn't a joke i'd take deandre hunter over ben simmons today i'd probably take herb jones over ben simmons today okay would you take let's think about who's around the 100th best basketball player on the planet I guess it's not just straight up best because you're building a team too, but it's like... Would I take Nas Reed over Ben Simmons? That's Maybe. a little bit too deep. Hold up. Let me come up with a really yeah, good please, example please here. Yeah, please, please do. R.J. Barrett or Ben Simmons. Oh, that's good. Respect. That's Thanks, a great man. pull. R.J.? Yeah. I'm taking R.J. Wow, that's crazy. For future, for future stock. That's interesting. I still do believe in the basketball skill set of Ben Simmons. I do yeah. not know about the mentality of Ben Simmons. I do not know about the physical status of Ben Simmons. Ben made an excellent, I mean, uh, Ben. Carson made an excellent video on Ben Simmons on YouTube. Check it out, please. Great breakdown on how Ben could become a winning player. Ben, if you're listening, you beta B word, watch it. Learn something about yourself. Uh, become self-aware. Become sentient. Mm-hmm. And do exactly as Carson said. Maybe you can too be a winning player. You yeah. can be in a, a souped-up Draymond, as uh, as Carson alluded to. Um, maybe you can be a winning player. Yeah, dude. I just I, Carson. I just wouldn't want Ben Simmons on my team. And that is the conclusion that I've reached after this season. I just would not want him on my roster at all. I think he's a cancer. I think he is. I think he's a distraction. And I don't think Ben Simmons loves basketball. And that is my biggest gripe with Ben Simmons. Is someone who just. I love playing pickup basketball. I have no. You certainly do. I, I'm not. I'm not super skilled. I'm not super talented. But you but are I, an 87 percent free throw shooter. I am an 87 percent free throw shooter. But I like playing. And I just Ben Simmons is not a guy that I feel like loves the game, and that disappoints me. So it feels like we've basically treated this as a Nets eulogy because I don't see them coming back. I mean, especially without Ben Simmons, and that's not to say that they won't win game four, especially because Scott Foster is there and he is uh, perhaps the series extender called in by the league office. Obviously, you can win any individual basketball game when you have KD and Kyrie on the floor, and they've been close in all three games, but they're not going to win four straight. And so things are going to end ugly here. Do you have any final thoughts on the status of the Nets before we move on? 
Yeah, I mean, I to I mean to summarize, like, yeah, I don't think they're dead in the water. I think they have a genuine shot next year. A lot of things mm-hmm. have to go right. I think they've got to be healthy. I think they've, like I said, they've got to build a culture. They've got to get cohesion. They've got to play as a team. Yeah, uh, it's doable. That being said, uh, Steve Nash's goose is cooked. If they don't do something next year, you got to win a playoff series. I think you got to make an ECF run. I think you yeah. got to do something big. Um, the Nets aren't dead in the water. This season is over, though. Yeah, I know a lot of people are laughing at KD for his decision to leave Golden State and whatnot and try to build something else where he hasn't accomplished anything significant yet. I also feel like, though, those same people have done a great deal to discredit everything that he did accomplish in Golden State, and he felt like, okay, well, I do need to go somewhere else where I'm the unquestioned top guy and build something that is my own, and he tried to do it, and it hasn't worked out so far, but really none of that has been his fault up to maybe these last three games of basketball because KD, when healthy has been pretty much perfect for two years in Brooklyn. And now we are seeing some lackluster performance out of him. But, I mean, if we're dishing out blame here, it's really tough to isolate. I honestly do think it ultimately comes down to James Harden effectively forcing his way out and then two of their top five players not being on the floor. I put it on Harden. I put it on Harden, dude. I think Harden, Harden got him. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about Suns-Pelicans now, because obviously we knew that the dynamic of that series completely changed when Devin Booker got injured, and both said that we thought it was going to be a really tight series going forward. The Suns did win game three, Mm -hmm. and then we saw the Pelicans take game four comfortably, honestly, towards the end. So what are your thoughts on that series as things stand currently? I'm scared if I'm the Suns uh, still. We've said that before. I, I want to touch on that first game, dude, uh, because I feel like uh, CP3 is going to get his name dragged through the mud once more after that four-point performance. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what, he didn't score for like 40 minutes? Was, was it? I mean, yeah, something crazy like that. Like, had four points early and then just didn't score again. Uh, it was a master class, that first game, dude, genuinely. Like, I, I have – that was some throwback Chris Paul stuff. And we'd seen a few flashes during the season. He hadn't really needed to hit that extra gear. Mm-hmm. Uh, CP3 looked hungry, dude. Like, he was getting in the lane with ease. He was knocking down everything. That was a such a beautiful closing job. And, and the Pelicans crawled and clawed back, dude. Uh, B.I. was hitting big shots late in that game. Um, really big shots. B.I. has been playing some great basketball here in this series. Yeah, like, unbelievable. Um, I, I didn't realize that even he had the, the scoring skills that he has. B.I. is a very special player. Um CP had a great game, but then he turns around and just credit, dude. Mad credit to Willie Green, mad credit to the Pels. Speaking of, like, guys not getting flustered like I haven't ever seen before. I haven't seen KD get flustered like that. I've never seen CP flustered like that. Like, Chris Paul was just out of rhythm, out of focus, and always as great at facilitating this offense. Knocked up 11 assists. Knocked up. <laughs> wow. Racked up 11 assists. Um, They just... They played him hard, dude. They uh, they played him physical. They played him tight all game. And I just kind of didn't ever expect that, dude. Uh, and again, I mean, we said this already. The Pelicans have the two best scorers in the series, and that is what mm-hmm. is so scary about this is in closing, like, dude, even when they lost, CJ hit that fadeaway three that made it a three-point uh, game to close out. Like, it didn't matter, but it made it closer on the scoreboard. Brandon Ingram and C.J. McCollum have been elite at closing these games down and getting yeah. late-game isolation buckets, and that is terrifying when you don't have your best isolation score. Chris Paul can do this one game out of six, one game out of seven, like he yeah. did. 
I don't know if we can expect this out of CP3 again. Like, him turning that, turning back the clock, so to speak, and just killing them out of mid-range, I don't know if we can expect that again. And that's what's terrifying, because they need it. There are no other great isolation scorers on this team. You need campaign to have a great game. I'm not on... I still can't pick the Pelicans. Also, this is a very minute detail tangent. has nothing major to do about the series. Larry Nance Jr. should not be closing minutes for the Pelicans. Uh, they were collapsing a lot and giving him open threes. I think Herb Jones or Trey Murphy should be out there in late-game scenarios. Mm-hmm. I just don't think Larry does anything exceptional for you except miss open threes. Uh, I think that's a change the Pelicans could do in late games. I'm scared for the Suns, Carson. I think that they could very well lose this series and would be honestly... I think the most devastating, I mean, elimination ever, like maybe next to Dirk's MVP year when yeah. the We Believe Warriors took them out. Um, I mean, I don't know if that'd be more upsetting than the Lakers missing the playoffs. Like, I mean, this would just be such a huge disappointment because yeah. like, the Suns have been the best team in basketball, but it is a very real possibility still. Um, what are your thoughts, man? Yeah, I think that this is kind of what we talked about when book went down is that the Suns are an incredibly well-oiled machine and they have so many complimentary guys and such a stellar two-way identity and CP is such a great captain of the ship but their actual shot creation without Devin Booker is a problem and they do become extremely reliant on Chris Paul because outside of that the guy who I would trust the second most to run offense is campaign which is just not typical for a team that was viewed as the title favorite coming into the playoffs because that's obviously not how things normally are for them. And if CP is off, then uh, they're in trouble. Now, I don't think he has to go off for 30 every time. And I will say, I do have faith in him consistently asserting himself in fourth quarters for the most part. I mean, I think that we have seen enough of that. I do still think out of the pick and roll, he's pretty exceptionally difficult to keep from getting to that mid-range spot where he can make stuff happen. But massive credit to the Pelicans, just swarming defensively. And they continue to be so impressive on that end and obviously causing some real frustration with CP as we saw towards the end. But like, I just don't think that this is that surprising that we sit here now. Mm-hmm. Pelicans are a good basketball team. They have two easily of the three best shot creators in this series and the two most consistently assertive shot creators and their depth has come a long way and they're fiery defensively. And so it's like you put all those things together against a team that was really relying on Devin Booker to go out there and get them 26 a night within the flow of the offense and getting buckets for himself and his playmaking, all the different things that he brings, just not surprising to me. I mean, the Suns are in very, very real danger. I'm not sure if they should be the favorite the remainder of the way, honestly. It's not ridiculous. It's not ridiculous to say that. Yeah, like, I don't know, man. I guess that they still have the edge defensively, but do they? By how much? Pels are dialed yes. in, man. Yes, they are. They are dialed in. So that's scary. And I mean, the level BI has been at is obviously unbelievable. And you don't normally see that kind of efficiency out of him. But the difficult shot making with him has always Dude. been so spectacular. And that's where, you know, the KD comparisons come from. It's just like his ability to rise up and get a bucket on anybody is tremendous. And we've consistently seen that. And CJ has certainly done enough. And this is scary. I mean, I, I have no reason to view the Suns as a significant favorite over these final three games. No reason at all. Like, I completely—I I don't know why. I, I, I don't know if I can call them the favorite 
And yeah. it, again, man, in playoff basketball, it just comes down to guys who can fill it up genuinely. Like, yeah. I don't know if I would. It's, I'm actually thinking about this now. I mean, home court is something. Yeah, you're but right. Book's not going to be back in this series. No, he won't. And so it's like, yeah, shocker. You take a top 20 guy on the planet and a team's overwhelmingly leading scorer off the floor, and uh, they're in trouble against a scrappy team that has been playing its best basketball for the last 30 games. Since they added CJ McCollum, really, they've just been a very good two-way basketball team. I do wonder if we sold the Pels short coming into this because I felt like the Clippers were going to be a better first-round matchup. And with PG on the floor, I actually think that that probably still would have been true. But I feel like maybe I drew a bit too much of a line between those two teams. Even though we acknowledged that, yeah, they'd been really good as of late, it still felt like there was a bit of a personnel deficiency. But when BI is this elite as a lead scorer and he's giving you a 30 a game on... 51-50 splits and the role guys are playing at this level I mean I don't know if the Clippers would have been better I think a lot of people would just immediately write off that possibility because the Pelicans have been so impressive I would still remind people of how good the Clippers were defensively how good their shooting is and what they can accomplish when PG is on as that lead offensive engine but regardless there is no doubt that the Pelicans deserve to be here right now I mean yeah they caught a break with PG being out and the play-in format and all these different things because they were a 36-win team. But regardless, they have lived up to the moment every step of the way and 100% belong on the same floor as the Suns. Of course, they would not win this series without Devin Booker, but that is not the world that we're living in anymore. So you talk about all-time playoff disappointments. This would be right up there. I mean, it really would. And in some ways, it's more devastating because it's like you have this unbelievable team that doesn't get a fair chance. 64 win powerhouse that starts to finish was the best team in basketball pretty much this year to have that stripped away by injury and, and, sucks and looking at that on a bigger scale uh, the the Suns already survived right without Chris Paul Devin Booker ascended to that MVP level was putting up like 27 8 and 5 mm-hmm. carried the team through without CP3 if we're looking at this on a bigger scale it's even more devastating for Chris Paul right like this seems that, to me, was kind of the big story about not only just Phoenix, but just this is the year that Chris Paul finally gets over the hump. You know, for a while it was he can't get to the Western Conference Finals. He can't do that. Uh, the Clippers, they finally get there. Rockets finally get there. Crumble. Uh-huh. Uh, injuries derail them. Yeah. And I, I still I still think the 2018 Rockets may have pulled that series out. 100%. Um, last season, all that work gets to the Finals, lose. Like, it's legitimately cruel. It's the basketball gods for some reason hate Chris Paul. It's really mind-boggling, and I feel like Carson. I, th- I thought you did an excellent job. Follow us on TikTok at Nerdsesh. Carson did a top five video on his point guards or his top five a video on his top five point guards of all time. Put Chris Paul on there. I didn't um, initially. We did a podcast a while back. I don't know. If Chris Paul is in my top ten, and that was a very big overlook on my on my eyes because I wasn't thinking critically enough about the game. Like you know. Like you said, man, why would I take a guy like John Stockton over Chris Paul? Chris Paul's been drastically underappreciated, and I feel like if he doesn't ever get that hardware, that people may look at his career as a failure. They may look down on him as a point guard. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think that's right. I think Chris Paul is one of the best point guards to ever live. And 100%. he needs to be appreciated. And I just so badly want him to win a ring because Chris Paul deserves it more yeah. than 
I think anybody else in the league that is ringless. I think Chris Paul is the Dan Marino of basketball. I agree. And I mean, even within this series, the guy's averaging 20 and 12 on damn good efficiency. As we look at things in basketball terms here, I've talked about like campaign being that second creator who I would sort of trust with the keys campaign has sucked in this series. <laughs> and like, there really is nobody else to fill that role. I mean, obviously Aiden has stepped up and produced offensively, but he's not a perimeter initiator creator. And so there's just such a glaring hole there. But, I mean, what do you think are the keys down the stretch of this series? For Phoenix? Just overall, like, to determining this outcome. And, like, are you leaning either way in terms of who you would take? I don't really want to answer this. Yes, I'm leaning leaning New Orleans. Like... Phoenix does not have an advantage in this series. They don't, bro. The key is campaign needs to step up and have some mm-hmm. big games. Like, that is the only option. They played a lot of—I expected them to play a lot of Shamit. We did get a lot of Shamit minutes his last game. Um, yeah. He shot well. He had some decent attempts. Campaign has to be the guy. He missed five threes in this game. Like, Phoenix went cold from deep. Sham, uh, excuse me. Uh, campaign has to shoot better. And they need him to step up and be the number two. And we've seen that, dude. I think we can expect... I don't know if we can expect this in the series. I expect that out of campaign night in, night out. Uh-huh. Because I know when campaign gets hot, he's a damn good point guard. Who is He's great in transition. He's great at getting downhill into the rack. He's super shifty. He's just not the best shooter. And again, playing along CP, he's going to have more open looks. He needs to hit those looks. He needs to take advantage of the touches he gets. That, to me, is the key, and I play him even more minutes because I think you always need to have that second guard out there. I know the value of having a Cam Johnson, a Jay Crowder. Uh, I want campaign out there. Also, to not tire out Chris Paul. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that is my key for Phoenix is just campaign needs to step up. I don't think there's yeah. anything dramatically different that you can do with the construction of the roster. Um, maybe throw some more doubles at B.I. and C.J. and let these other guys kill you. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't yeah. trust the supporting cast here. I think those are my two keys for Phoenix is... Try to get campaign going and throw doubles their way because B.I. and C.J., if they do not, they're going to impose their will. And they have not. The Suns have been throwing ones at the guys, and they've been trying to let their team defense work. It hasn't thus far. Those are my keys. I don't know about New Orleans. Um, keep trying to win the rebounding battle. Um, I don't know. What are your keys moving forward? I mean, one thing that I do think is worth noting is just the pure three-point shooting differential in this series because the— Pelicans have been 39%. The Suns have been 29 And you do think that the Suns would progress to the mean a bit there and the Pelicans would regress to the mean a bit. And, I mean, obviously, this is still a tremendous defensive team. They're athletic. They're long. They're really smart. They do play together really well. And CP can lead good team offense without scoring 25, obviously. Like, he can just set the table really effectively. But he does have to kick into that gear I do completely agree with you on the campaign campaign point. And yeah, I guess the question is just really to me, do things just fall off from the Pelicans? Like does that shooting fall off? You know, can they maintain this level defensively? BI has been so great, but it's like just because of the nature of how he scores, you know, it's always possible that there's an off night, right? If he's not getting downhill a ton, if he's not getting to the line a ton, although he has gotten to the line a lot in this series and like if that happens you know do they have the creation elsewhere beyond cj i don't know because like the depth is still so weird right i mean it's crazy that jose alvarado has played 
you know, legitimate, legitimate minutes in this series and that obviously Trey Murphy is playing 20-plus minutes a game. Like, it's just a wild construction of the team. And so I do wonder if, like, the talent deficit comes into play. But it's so diminished when Devin Booker is not on the floor because the Pelicans have, again, very clearly two of the three best offensive players on the floor. Like, by far. So Three of the four. Valanciunas versus Aiden, I think, is debatable. I, would, I mean, Aiden's been really good in this series, but yeah, I do think that Valanciunas is a more skilled player offensively. I think he has a much more developed post game. I think I mean, he's I, better touch. He's a better shooter. And he's a better passer, and he's better yeah. on the glass. I would rather yeah. have Valanciunas. Aiden, just a, uh, Aiden is a significantly better athlete. Yeah. And so what's your what's your take, Carson? I'll put you on the spot. Who are you taking the rest of the way? I, I'll go ahead and I'll flip. I. I love the Suns. I do not yeah. want to see this happen to, to, to my friends, in, my brothers in Christ in Phoenix. Yeah. Uh, I think I picked the Pelicans in seven, and I don't. It's I going don't. seven. I feel pretty confident about that. I think I'm going to lean on the Suns and the ability of CP to get it done in the biggest moments and the defensive structure of this team and just having to trust it still feels like so much going right for the Pelicans. It has been going right for a minute now, but I don't know. It's just a lot. It's a lot of guys in really big spots where it feels like they have to overplay what their role has been historically and their level has been. But then again, they've been doing it for a minute now. So I'm extremely conflicted. I will just give a bit of the benefit of the doubt to the Suns, but I could not say with any confidence that they are the better basketball team right now. And I am extremely tempted to pick New Orleans there. Okay. Let's talk about T-Wolves Grizzlies, where we are also even at two apiece. Pretty fun, man. The one and two seeds out west, both really being challenged. Obviously, we had the historic collapse from the T-Wolves. They came back and had a nice win in game four, and that is just a dogfight of a series right now. So what's your take on that series at this moment? I want the T-Wolves to win, dude. I, I As really do. I. I, I, I was preaching the, the T-Wolves... Uh, I was giving them a whole lot of praise coming into this. I thought that this would be a really good series. Um, first off, I just want to give a, a shout-out to them. I mean, we talked about how resilient the Timberwolves were going to be. I thought they were going to come out flat. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is one of the most demoralizing and just heart-crushing losses I've ever seen in a playoff series. And uh, I thought they were going to come out flat. I mean, all these games have been great. This last one was won by, obviously, one point. Uh comes down to the wire. Shout out. Like, it takes a lot of fight in the dog, and the Timberwolves have got a lot of fight in them to keep going. I, 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 was, I was ready to wipe, wipe them off, and Cat heard the, heard the noise, came out way better in this game. Mm-hmm. Just, it was just more aggressive, man, and that's, that's what the Timberwolves have needed. They can't have passive Cat. That's kind of one of my big takeaways is, you know, Cat just needs to be better, and he was a lot better. Uh uh, Pat Bev shot his ass off. Anthony Edwards shot his ass off. They needed that. Um, and Cat went big dog on him. D'Lo did not have a great game. Uh, nobody else really did. Like, Cat stood out. Uh, Jordan McLaughlin had a crazy... He swung this game, honestly. Um, I was talking to a friend of the show, Michael Donahue, and I asked him, I was like, why the hell was Chris Finch throwing McLaughlin out there? And he told me, Finch just does that. If the offenses just hit a lull, and he says, uh, yeah, I got a lot of Timberwolves lore from friend of the show, yeah. Michael Donahue. Uh, when Timberwolves hit these lulls in offense, he called it voltage. 
And uh, he said, when there's a lot of voltage on the floor, Chris Finch will just throw somebody out there. And it was the right call, dude. McLaughlin stepped in. And I literally went, well, first I had to, like, wipe my contacts and go, who the hell is this dude? Because <laughs> I couldn't remember did Jordan McLaughlin was on this team. I said, who is this 50-year-old man on the court? He does look so old. It's <laughs> hilarious. And McLaughlin swung this game 4-4 from deep, 16 points. Uh, he had a big night. And so, shout-out to Finch. Shout-out to McLaughlin. That was just a great decision. Um in putting him on the floor and swinging this game. There's a lot of things to like in this series. I think from Memphis's side, I think that Jaron Jackson Jr. just has to be better. He's got to be more aggressive. Uh, ja had a bad game. Timberwolves are really physical with Ja in this series, dude. And I don't know if he's wearing down, but it's tough every night playing this hard, man. Uh, it, I'm, I think this series goes 7-2, Carson. I think this is a dogfight to the end. And uh, I want to see the T-Wolves pull it out, but... I think every game is going to be hyper-competitive. This has been my favorite series of, of any by far. I mean, every game has been so competitive. Both of these teams are so young. They play so hard, so physical. Mm-hmm. Um, I've loved every second of it. I'm rooting for Minnesota, but uh, I'm just, I've just kind of been happy going along for the ride. Dude, this has been an awesome series thus far. It has, man. And, I mean, I think that we discussed the potential for the T-Wolves to really make this a series and that their advantage was kind of that high-end offensive talent and shot creation. And when they're dialed in defensively, obviously, you know, they do have impressive athleticism and some feist to them. But credit to you because you picked this to go seven. And, uh, I mean, it, it is certainly feeling like a very even series right now. I do think it's really, really impressive that we were able to see this out of the T-Wolves just because it's like, it was a monumental collapse, like you said. And I I was like, there's some dogs on this team and we'll see if they can come back. But the cat response was huge because you go from just the humiliating four field goal attempts performance to being legitimately assertive and you watch it. And it's like, there's no answer for him in this series. You know, a vast majority of the time, he's not being guarded by what you would remotely consider a true big, right? I mean, you just go possession by possession, and it's Xavier Tillman and, like, Dylan Brooks is switched out there and Kyle Anderson. It's just, like, those guys are food to him. And, I mean, the way that he goes about it is not like a traditional big man, right? He doesn't go back to the basket and bully, but he attacks off the bounce. He has more than enough skill. He's strong, and you have to respect him from everywhere on the floor. So... I just think that was really impressive, seeing that bounce back from him, and that was a big storyline, I thought, because obviously, I mean, it just was inexcusable. The combination of the play-in, games two and three for him, he could not afford another game like that, certainly, and to be the lead guy in such a big win was pretty massive. Yeah, and I mean, we've never wavered from the, the cat love. Yeah, but, it was, but game three sucked. Yeah, game no, three no, was... I'm just saying that people, Inexcusable. again, they took the first three games and they, they run with the narrative, and it's yeah. like, Ked is still one of the most offensively talented bigs in the game. And I do want to ask you, Carson, like, if you're Memphis, how are you defending Cat moving forward? Who are you sticking on him? How are you trying to slow him down? Like, again, I think it worked in these first two games. Mm-hmm. When Cat is like this, what do you do? Who do you, how do you defend him? I mean, it's really tough because, obviously, you look at Triple J... But Cat is just so difficult because it's like you want Triple J to be protecting the rim as much as possible, but Cat's going to initiate from the perimeter a ton, and so he's taking away that help in a lot of situations. And nobody can really single cover him, in my opinion, on this team. So I would say put your best defender who positionally does make sense on him, but I don't think there's a particularly good answer if Cat's going to be consistently aggressive. And I mean, sending doubles is honestly probably the answer. Yeah, It's, you know... 
as good of a passer as he is, make him play make, make the guys around him beat you by hitting big shots, make him uncomfortable as much as you can, apply that pressure, because other than that, you know, I think that they should be pretty concerned about actually stopping him in this series at all. I will say, I mean, it's been a rough series for Ja just in terms of actually putting the ball in the basket. And obviously, he always has the free throw element that allows him to still get his buckets. But 40% from the field, 3 of 11 from deep in the series. It's been tough. And it's just like the offense, I don't know. It, it It's been pretty good for the Grizzlies. But there are just times where you think... Mm-hmm. The lead creation, as we've talked about before, isn't great, and it honestly isn't at the level of the Timberwolves. So, I think this is a dogfight. Like, the T-Wolves should be up 3-1 to one in this series. Yes, they should. Obviously. And they, they that doesn't feel wrong. <laughs> they didn't have a protester that game. Yeah, well, that was a bummer, and I think that we obviously need to make some calls about that. And by the way, you mentioned Michael Donahue, friend of the show. I think we need to get him involved in Game 6. He's going to be there. We're going to hit the Mikey button? Well, I just think we need to initiate a little protest. Maybe he could tar and feather himself. Genius. It rolls around in the middle of the court. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> but I really don't feel like the Timberwolves are at all outmatched. And no. I think that this is an immense opportunity for them to catch a Grizzlies team that was really, really good throughout the regular season. But we did consistently express questions about how some of it would translate. And... Uh, there is value in just having the best guys on the floor, dude. There always is. Like, on the top end, there is mm-hmm. an ability to take over the game in the playoffs that is extremely important, and I do believe that the T-Wolves have those options because, I mean, we've seen moments where it was Cat, and we've seen moments where it was Ant, and we could, in theory, see moments where D'Lo, like, just really is firing offensively, and that just feels like more options than the Grizzlies have. You know, obviously, they had the massive Desmond Bain performance in Game 3, but so much of his is just, like, pure shot-making, mm-hmm. you know? And it's not bucket getting. It's not physical assertion in the same way or playmaking and all these different ways that the T-Wolves top guys can really impose themselves offensively. Yeah, and I mean, Bain had a massive game in game four, too. Yeah. Um, was carrying that load. But I, you're exactly right. And when Cat is engaged like this, when Cat is in score takeover mode, what, they've got the top three of the top four offensive players. Would you take Bain over Ant or D'Lo? I think Desmond Bain is... Probably a better offensive player than D'Lo, but he does not have a higher offensive ceiling, and he doesn't have the same ability to impose his will on the game. Because mm-hmm. I mean, you know, D'Lo can run pick and roll to death, and he can just control the tempo of the game, and he can really facilitate and score on all three levels. It's just overall efficiency. Who would I want if I'm trying to build a really good offense? Desmond Bain is so valuable because he's so easy to fit in anywhere, and mm-hmm. you know, efficient and smart. But yeah, I mean, D'Lo can take over a game. I think in a little bit of a different yeah, way. Yeah, and I also. Uh, yeah, I I want to give credit to D'Lo for um, what he's been doing on the defensive end too. Like D'Lo mm-hmm. is a a really smart uh, defensive leader. He's been stepping up all year long. Like uh, D'Angelo Russell doesn't really have the tools to ever become like a high impact, like you know one of the best defenders in the game, uh, just because you know he's not super laterally quick. He's not he doesn't have you know crazy long wingspan. He's not super quick in defending, but he's uh, D'Lo's super smart man. And he's an important cog in this defensive machine in Minnesota. I know they've got a lot of talented defenders: McDaniel's, Vanderbilt. Uh, Pat Pat Bev, shout out, dude. I, uh-huh. Pat Bev is a guy that I want in a playoff series. I know a lot of people hate Pat Bev. I would take, I would take Pat Bev over a lot of point guards in the playoffs, man. I just think that when he steps on the floor, man, there's like a mentality change, dude. And 
Uh, it's important in scenarios like this. I also think he does a lot of things pretty well. He's been getting downhill in this series, playmaking, knocking down catch-and-shoot threes. Game two was uh, kind of a stain on him, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I like. I guess I like Minnesota on the defensive end is what I'm getting at. Yeah. D'Lo is a real defensive leader for this team, whether he's uh, making plays or not, just in like terms of sending guys uh, around the court, making sure matchups are in line. And, uh, yeah, dude, I, I think – Minnesota and Memphis are just so evenly matched. Yeah. Uh, I want to pick Minnesota in seven, dude. I want to get freaky. Yeah. I want to go minute. Ooh, bro. Yes. This would just this would just be the wildest playoffs ever. If somehow I don't want to see it happen, knock on wood. Pels Timberwolves win, oh and we my get God. seven eight in the second round. I mean. Yeah, that's what you think <laughs> until you see it. I don't know. I feel like I'd be kind of upset because I well not the Timberwolves. I'd be upset if we saw Phoenix go out, but. Just for I kind of want chaos, Carson. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know, man. If Devin Booker can get back out there, I would really like to see him. But I would not be like, oh my god, we got robbed of seeing more of the Grizzlies. Like to me, the Grizzlies <laughs> have to actually go out there and prove, hey, yeah, As, yeah, we can do this. You know, because there have been questions. I will say also just on D'Lo defensively. I mean, he does have legit length. I think he has like a six ten wingspan, uh, so there is a positive positive physical mm. trait there. But as a team, dude, I agree. I mean. They have moments when they're really good on that end, and if they had home court, I would pick them in seven. You always do see the value of the depth of Memphis and whatnot, but I just don't know if it's enough right now. I mean, this series is very, very much up in the air. The one thing that we could see is just the jaw takeover moment where he totally physically imposes his will on the game and just gets the bucket over and over again and is finishing consistently, and the playmaking feeds off of that, and it's just like, oh, man, jaw had 45 and 10. Tough. You know, it's really tough to win a game like that. But at the same time, Cat and Ant are liable to have just monster games at any moment. So it's a real toss-up, and it's been a very fun series. All right, a couple more to get through here. Bulls-Bucks. First two games of the series were very odd. Game one was just ugly. Bucks were able to sneak out, but it was kind of like, well, that wasn't great. And then game two, they lost. Middleton went down with the MCL sprain, and so... It looked like he was going to be out two to three weeks. All this stuff that was just not looking good for the Bucks at all. And now last two games, they have won convincingly without Middleton. So, uh, I mean, how have they been able to do that? What does it say about them as a team? And then on the flip side of that, you know, how does it reflect on the Bulls that, like, they are given this seemingly golden opportunity and just ran out the gym? Uh, At home also. Yeah, Bulls are missing Lonzo. I, I still think that matters. Well, of um, course. I still think that's a big part of all of this. They don't have the shooting. Um, and, I mean, this is just something that we touched on all year with the Bulls. Like, they were dead last and three-pointers made, not very high in three-point percentage. Like, they just uh, didn't take a whole lot, didn't make a whole lot. Uh, the Bulls made – or the Bulls attempted 19 open corner threes um, in this last game against Milwaukee. They made five. Like – we, we identified all the weaknesses before. The Bucks are going to allow the Bulls to shoot on them. Do they have the personnel to knock down threes? No. DeMar goes 0-5. Vucevic goes cold, which... <sighs> Vooch, bro. Yeah, just uh, such a brutal year for him. And just remember who the most anti-Vooch guy in America was last year, all right? It was this guy. They Everybody can't else, see. This is a podcast. Hey, who? Well, this guy is me? me, Carson Brever. Everybody else was sucking his toes and saying that Whoa. he needed to be a bona fide all-star, and I said, yeah, all right. I don't know about that, man. <laughs> I don't know about that. How about we talk about the defensive issues? I talk, how about we talk about his on-off splits and his efficiency as a scorer? 
I mean, DeVucci should be a really good offensive player. This has been a bad year yeah, for him. I mean, though. and they bad, were letting this man shoot. He's had, a, he's had a few good games. He's had what, one good game in this series. Um, one of six from deep in this game, five of 14 from the field. It's just inexcusable. Vooch is supposed to be the third star here, and if he was pulling his weight, as he did, should have done all year, uh, this would be a competitive series. It's not. The Bucks have an elite defense. Uh, as we preached all year long, the Bucks have the highest 3 and D ceiling of any team uh, in the East. Actually, I said the Heat for a while as we moved on through the season, mm-hmm. though. I thought it was pretty clear. That it has. And I mean, I think Milwaukee's defensive rating, I don't know if it's changed. Before last game, their defensive rating was like 94.3 for the playoffs. Again, they are going up against an inept Bulls team. But still, uh, that's a crazy number. Mm-hmm. Drew Holiday pulls his weight in this game. Grayson Allen has been a Bulls killer. Uh, 27.6-7 from deep in this last game. Did you hear the story about his uh, teammates booing him, Carson? Did no. Drew Holiday? No. So, um... During the Bulls game, right, his teammates start booing him, and he just starts turning up. And uh, a reporter asked Drew, they were like, you know, when did this start? Have you guys always boo Grayson? And they said that uh, in practice, they would just boo Grayson relentlessly because they thought it was funny. It was like way more, way better (laughs) than cheering him. I love it because I love it too. Grayson sucks. He does suck. Grayson (laughs) Allen deserves to be booed. He's good at basketball, but he's not likable. He's got one of the most punchable faces in all of America. Um, Horrible personality. He went to Duke. Yeah. Um, he hit this one buzzer beater against UVA this one time. Shouldn't have counted. He like his foot came down before he got the shot off. Anyway, it's just scars on on me mm-hmm, as a UVA mm-hmm, fan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Grayson Allen is really talented. I mean, they're just they're deep. If it's Jordan and Warren getting minutes, I know he, uh, that Cracker hasn't scored. If it's Wesley Matthews, Bobby Portis, Giannis is the best defensive collapser in basketball. And there's a lot of three point shooters here, and he may be the best defensive player on the planet versatility wise. Like. The Bucks have the easily the most the easiest most replicable formula in basketball. That's why we picked them out of the East. The question is, I think moving forward from Milwaukee, is someone going to be able to expose this drop coverage because they still allow a shit ton of open threes? Yeah. And the Bulls, we just knew we're not going to hit them. Um, they're always susceptible to be getting shot on, but the Bulls just don't have the personnel to exploit that. Uh, they've been letting Demar shoot. Demar has not been knocking down shots uh, from deep. I mean, it's kind of where it is. And then if you just want to talk about the effort side, like it was kind of abysmal from Chicago. They just kind of like keeled over and died in this last game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and, you're, and you're at home. You just don't want to see that. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, this series is done. I, I'm glad Chicago got here. I, I thought we kind of expected this. I had a little hope after game one. That was just kind of fluky. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the Bulls are dead in the water. I want to see what this team looks like fully healthy. I kind of want them to move off Vooch. Um, I don't know. I think yeah. I do think Chicago needs to make some changes in this offseason, uh, add some more depth, maybe look at shopping Vooch around. I just don't think he's the guy can be the third guy. Um Shout out though. I mean, this is I mean this you wouldn't consider this a, a loss of a season for Chicago. I mean, this is a good year, right? Like uh, I don't know, man. It started well, as think? a really good year. It's just a really disgusting finish. <laughs> like since the beginning of the calendar year. I mean, obviously injuries were so devastating for them. And I do totally agree on the importance of Lonzo, but it's just like they started the year exceptionally well. And then it was just an absolutely hideous finish. And this is a pretty embarrassing playoff showing. And I I completely agree on the Vooch thing. I mean, he just has not shot the ball well enough this year. I mean, like for him to drop from 40% from deep and, leading the league in above-the-break threes and, like, being a total weapon from there to 31%, and he's been 
you know, pretty brutal in this playoff series. And I will say the Bulls overall as a team, like they were an efficient three-point shooting team this regular season. They just were not a super willing three-point shooting team. And that's not really how they prefer to generate a lot of their offense. And Lonzo being off the floor is devastating there because Lonzo is a super high-volume guy from deep. And yeah, I mean, you know, you're trusting middling three-point shooters like Patrick Williams and Caruso to knock down those open looks and they haven't done it. And then, you know, the other guys, it's just like Levine hasn't had a particularly good shooting series and Vooch hasn't made his and Kobe White's been off. So it's just all these things sort of coming together there. But I think it's tough to look at this season as a success just because it's like, what did you accomplish? You know, I think you ultimately just built up expectations to a point where people were genuinely excited and then they were just like, oh, this is pretty gross, actually. This team is not very good anymore. So I do still think the role players regress. I mean, uh, progress. I like a lot of what Chicago has. Io is so good. You know, hasn't had an impactful series, but like we saw it throughout the second half of the regular season and love the versatility of Caruso, of course. And you bring Lonzo back in and it's like the top seven here is really, really good. But there's a clear ceiling and, you know, this isn't a team that can contend for a title. Uh, I will see if they can reach the defensive ceiling that they had early in the year again. I'm not totally sure on that and just kind of an ugly finish. So I don't feel great about things for Chicago right now. And it's like, this was always the dilemma. It's you're going so all in and what's the upside? Is it being a pretty good basketball team? And yeah, that's kind of what the upside has ended up being. I mean, now that Milwaukee is, is kind of ran this thing, especially yeah. the last game without Middleton. I mean, if your opinions changed, like are they, are they your title favorite now with all the uncertainty uh, out East? Are you more confident? Milwaukee? Are you feeling the same way? Nah, we got to get healthy Chris Middleton, man. I mean, I... They're still getting ran by the Celtics if Middleton is not you don't out there in himself. I mean, how many are you taking? How many are you taking Boston in? Five or six. Wow, really? Yeah, dude. I just think like, sure, they can execute this formula against a team that they're significantly better than. And when Giannis can just impose himself so easily physically and create so many good looks for so many good shooters and all that, and I do love the Bucks role players, but like. You need multiple really good shot creators to beat the Boston Celtics, man. That is a great defense, and they are going to come out with something for Giannis. They have a bunch of really athletic wings. Robert Williams is back out on the floor. Horford is such a valuable defensive piece. Like They have bodies and athletes and smart guys to throw, and you need a release valve, and you need a closer, and you need another facilitator. I would not give them a chance without Chris Middleton. And Middleton should be back at some point during that series, I would think, in terms of the timetable. But is he going to be 100%? Is it going to be early enough? I mean, is he going to be back at all? We don't know. Like, So, no, I'm not willing to say anything. This has been really impressive. They totally shut down the Bulls. I thought the Bulls were going to you know, make them sweat a little bit, given that their second-best player isn't out there, and they uh, did not at all. So Boston is your favorite out East? Yes. Now that Rob is back, I mean, I don't know, man. I think they're uh, the best defense in basketball. I think their shot creation from the wings is stellar. I think they have really good complementary offensive pieces. I think they're very well coached. And uh, I think they have the least holes of anybody right now. And the Bucks' conversation may change if Middleton's out there. But as things stand currently, I think the Celtics are the best team out east. But there's another team that maybe belongs somewhere in that conversation. And... That is the Miami Heat, who uh, you early in the year were really big on, and then your confidence in them really fell off, and it got to the point where before the playoffs, you were like, they can't win the title. They've looked pretty damn good through four games against Atlanta. They're up 3-1, and they really could have 
swept this thing. I mean, if not for some pretty big time stuff, just in terms of that floater at the finish from Trey Young in mm-hmm. Game Three. So, have we sold them short as title contenders? Do you think? Yeah, a little bit. And the biggest thing that I didn't expect was Jimmy Butler getting back to this level. Um, I know it's against the Hawks, so I don't want to overreact to this. Jimmy's been playing at an MVP level, dude. Like, 31-8-5, nearly three steals a game on 54-44-79 splits in this series. He's getting to the line. He is getting downhill. He is forcing – he's imposing his will on the game. He's finding open shooters. This is the Jimmy Butler that we got in the bubble. Locked Mm -hmm. in Jimmy Butler. Like, I didn't expect this. Um, And I don't know. I – I do think I oversold him in that regard. Again, this is against Atlanta. This is with Tyler Hero not pulling his weight whatsoever. 37% from the field, 21% from deep. Uh, Kyle Lowry has not had a good series. So, Jimmy playing this level of basketball and them playing solid defensively is a recipe for success. Mm -hmm. Guys are going to have to start pulling their weights in these later rounds, though. That being said, if Jimmy is at this level, fuck yeah. Fuck yeah, yeah, the Miami Heat can win this, can win the, can win the whole damn thing. Like, I don't, I don't think they're on Boston's level defensively, but they're really close. Mm-hmm. I think they've got the personnel to combat anybody they come up against. I like them against Milwaukee. I like them against Boston. I like them against Philly. If Jimmy is at an MVP level, Hero gets back up to where he was at the end of the season throughout this year. Guys are hitting open looks. Hundred percent, Miami can win the title. I think. It- it's still an outside shot. And honestly, most of my critiques of them as a team remain. And I think this has been impressive. The thing is, I don't trust Jimmy to consistently play at this level offensively. I mean, we just haven't seen that dependable, like elite lead guy output from him this year. And his assertiveness as a scorer does often kind of come and go. I mean, he's been shooting the ball exceptionally well from deep in the series. Just like a bunch of things where it's like, I don't know if that's totally sustainable. Defensively, they are unreal. That, I think, is the key to this series, is they are unbelievable. We knew that, but it's like seeing what they have done to Trey Young has been unbelievably impressive. Mm -hmm. Like, I said, hey, I think the Hawks can make this a series, take this six, because Trey Young is such an incredible offensive engine. They have held him to 16-6 and on 35-21 splits. Like, they've been phenomenal, and they have taken away what makes the Hawks offense go because the other guys just aren't able to step up as creators like that. I will also say the Hawks' defense, I think, is just not good. And, you know, it was so bad for so much of the year, and then I was optimistic because, like, it was okay for the last 15 games or so, and it's just not good enough. But I still look at this Heat team, and I'm like, I worry about all the same things that we talked about previously in terms of the consistency of the half-court offense. Jimmy's not going to score 30 a game over a playoff run. Max Struess is their second-leading scorer in this series Mm -hmm. because Hero hasn't had it. Bam's assertiveness is just not there consistently at all. He's taken 31 shots in four games. You know, Lowry has been a non-factor as a scorer, and so and now obviously has the injury thing. So mm-hmm. I don't really feel that differently about the Heat. I honestly feel more like they balled out defensively. There will not be another opportunity for them to so singularly focus on one player throughout these playoffs, and I don't trust their offense enough. The only thing I do, I think Jimmy can sustain this level of play. And really? I, I don't mean 30 a night. I think Jimmy can give this team consistently 25, 7, and 6. Is that going to be enough? We'll see. The three-point shooting is kind of an anomaly. It's not on a massive sample size, right? He takes them when they're open. Yeah. Um, 
I believe in I believe in Jimmy Butler. Also, side note, yo, DeAndre Hunter's like leading the Hawks in scoring yeah. for this series. I and mean, they're like, doing great. Maybe he'd be like the 14th guy you'd take to start your franchise with. Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to say? Because I need to use the bathroom maybe as badly as I have in my entire life. Middle of the pod? The pod is nearing a conclusion. Guys, I think the that's pod- why I asked if you have anything else to say. Guys, I think the podcast is about to end. No, do you think so? I'm utterly devastated. Wait, well, you know what's good? There's so many places to find us. I mean, uh, you guys heard of TikTok? Find us there at Nerd Sesh. Instagram, same. Twitter, Twitch, at Nerd underscore Sesh. That's where we go live, baby, Mondays, sometimes Tuesdays, sometimes Mondays and Wednesdays talking about the NBA. Check that out. You can find us on YouTube, Nerd Sesh. You can find us on our website, nerdsesh.com. We've got big things in the works, always more stuff coming. Uh, Stay tuned in. Find the podcast on all audio platforms, Spotify, Apple, etc. What am I going to do with this time now that we're not going to be shooting the podcast? What do I do I don't now? know. How long were you planning on going, Logan? I don't exist outside of the podcast oh, realm. Oh, I forgot that. You get zapped back to the nether realm. Yeah. That sucks. Because I just keep on living a normal life of a cool college student. You just evaporate. Can we please keep the pod No, going? sorry. It's actually over. With that, as always, appreciate you guys. I've been Carson Brower. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glazer podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glazer podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glazer podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.